The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. morning and uh, welcome to the liturgical year on the Restoration Radio Network. Uh, my name is Nicholas Wansbutter. I'm filling in for your regular host, Stephen Heiner, uh, who unfortunately had something come up last minute. And uh, so I'm, I'm dropping in at the last second here, literally. So I ask our listeners for uh, their patience if I'm not as polished as you're used to with uh, Stephen, your regular host. And um, we're joined as always by uh, your regular uh, clergy member for for this show, Father Charles McGuire, pastor of St. Hugh's Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, assistant pastor at St. Gertrude the Great Parish in Westchester, Ohio. So, uh, Father, thank you for joining us again. Oh, it's nice to be here again. And uh, today's show, we're going to be talking about uh, Trinity Sunday, the feasts of Saints Peter and St. Paul, and uh, then we'll uh, be talking a little bit about the various ranks of feasts and how that works. I'd like to start our discussion, if I may, uh, talking about Trinity Sunday. It uh, seems to be kind of wrapping up a whole series of big feasts that we've had one after another. It seems like we've had Easter, Ascension Thursday, Pentecost, and now coming up this Sunday, we have Trinity Sunday. So, um after a, a period of of penance, it, it seems like it's almost nonstop uh, uh, feasting. So um, I, I guess it uh, kind of sets us up for the rest of the liturgical year, and uh, we're just segueing out of the, all the celebration, getting into the uh, the hard work phase now that our Lord's in heaven. So I wonder if you could uh, tell us a little bit about the the feast, Father. Oh, absolutely, Nicholas. But if you don't mind, I'm going to start with a little prayer taken from the liturgy, the, the Mass of the Holy Trinity, and then the Collect of Saints Peter and Paul. In the name of the Father, oh, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Blessed be the Holy Trinity and undivided unity. We will praise it because it hath shown, shown its mercy unto us. O Lord our God, how wonderful is thy name in the whole earth. Glory 
be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O God, who has consecrated this day by the martyrdom of thine apostles, Peter and Paul, grant to thy church that she may in all things follow their instruction, by whom she received the faith, through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, yes, we, um, concerning the, the Feast of the Holy Trinity, it's um, actually a very interesting history of how we got this feast. Interestingly enough, it did not always exist. There was not always a, a feast, a particular feast dedicated to the Blessed Trinity. Um, but the first question is, why was the first Sunday after Pentecost chosen eventually for this? And the reason, or one of the reasons, is because after Pentecost, we know that the apostles all over the world to, to preach the gospel. And our Lord said that all who believed were to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And so there's a, a natural connection between the coming of the Holy Ghost, the birthday of the church, and then the apostles going out and preaching, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And so that's why, or at least one of the reasons why, uh, liturgically speaking, this Sunday over any other was chosen uh, for the Feast of the Holy Trinity. But as I said, it was not always celebrated universally in the church. Uh, it all started with the uh, monk Alcuin, a very holy monk. He was a very great theologian, but also a liturgist. Um, and he was alive during the time of Charlemagne. And at that time, the in France, there was what we call the, the Gallican Rite, which was very different from the Roman Rite. In fact, it was more like the, the Eastern Rite with all of the um, litanies and the curies and, and different things like that. It was totally different from the Roman Rite for the most part. They had different feasts and customs and, and traditions. And so Charlemagne, uh, being the, the holy leader that he was, he wanted to have to build up in the church a greater ecclesiastical unity. And so he he gave authority to, to Alcuin, the, the monk and liturgist, to do something about this, to unite the, the Gallican liturgy with the, the Roman rite. And so Alcuin sat down and he wrote a, a beautiful missal. And in this missal were included several votive masses, one of which was the votive mass of the Blessed Trinity, um, that particular vote of Mass, it said in the liturgical year, was in, um, Alcuin was inspired to write that, inspired by St. Boniface, encouraged to write it. And so he did. And vote of Masses, I think we talked about it on a previous show, vote of Masses are not obligatory say. The purpose of them is to... Um, to help to help with private devotion to a certain saint or mystery or event, uh, such as the Passion or something. And so the, the votive message of the Blessed Trinity was for this purpose, to show a greater devotion to, uh, to God in his essence. And so it wasn't yet a feast, but this votive mass became a favorite among the clergy and the people. And so gradually, more and more churches adopted the Mass. Now, one thing to remember, too, is um, in the earlier years of the church, it was not necessary for Rome to institute a feast. Any church, any bishop, could institute uh, a Mass to be said at a certain time. Um, it wasn't made a rule till later that only Rome could institute a feast. And so, so this votive mass was used in many churches. Uh, they say that in the 11th century, the, the feast of the Holy Trinity was introduced in a church in Belgium. 
And um, they say around that same time, Stephen, who was the Bishop of Liege, had an entire office composed uh, in honor of the Blessed Trinity. And then the Benedictine Order took it up. They were uh, among the first to uh, adopt this, including the um, uh, including Cluny in, in France. And um, still, even though it was spreading like this, Rome did not adopt it. it Pope Alexander II gave his reason for it. He said that Rome would not adopt it, this feast yet, because the Blessed Trinity was already honored in every Mass by the, uh, by the Gloria Patris recited at the introit and throughout the, the breviary that the priest prays. Every day there's a Gloria Patri, or Glory Be to the Father, at the end of each psalm. And so they say that the Blessed Trinity is already sufficiently honored, so there's no need of a particular feast. Um, but then the, the feast continued to spread in other places. England, for example, um, the feast was instituted by St. Thomas of Canterbury, um, and he, he put it, uh, said that it was to be observed on the first Sunday of Pentecost in commemoration of the day on which he was consecrated a bishop. So he was consecrated bishop on the first Sunday of Pentecost. And um, finally, it wasn't until the 14th century, so it took several hundred years for Rome to finally adopt it. And it was under Pope John the Twenty-Third, and he decreed that the Church of Rome would finally adopt the feast and made it obligatory throughout all the churches um, that were part of the Catholic Church. And the reason he gave for that is, he said, because of the Catholic sense, what we call the Catholic sense, that so many of the people were adopting it, and um, that was a sign that it should be, uh, it is a very important mystery, um, very loved, and so he decided to extend the feast to to all the churches throughout the world. Um, and it's it's oh, interesting. No, no, that's that, interesting, Father. Could I just uh, interject with a quick question there? Um, mm-hmm. w- when you mentioned is John the Twenty Third that instituted, um, what wasn't John the Twenty Third ultimately determined an anti-pope? No. I'm sorry, that's that's habit from talking so much about the oh. uh, the Vatican II so-called pope. I'm sorry, it's John the 22nd. I'm glad you, you caught that and corrected me. <laughs> so okay, well, I, I, I thought maybe it was an interesting question of an example where something an antipope had done was upheld later, but okay, it was the 22nd. Yes, John the 22nd. And um, so, but there's an interesting thing that kind of ties in with the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul um, in a way that here, for the Feast of the Blessed Trinity, Rome was late in accepting it, whereas they were the first to, to accept the, or to have the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. And so I, I thought that was a quite interesting little detail. Um, now, the reason why it was assigned to a, this feast was assigned to a particular day was because up to uh, the year 1000, there were not many saints who had a feast day, which was universally kept. You'd have feasts of saints kept in a certain church here and a church there um, and, and the like, but you wouldn't have then many saints that were honored universally by a proper feast day. And gradually, after the year 1000, the saints began receiving more and more honors, and they had their proper feast days, proper masses, and some of them would be observed on Sundays, which was usually the day which is dedicated to honoring the Blessed Trinity. Um, and so, they, to ensure that the Blessed Trinity always had at least one day that it was honored, it was a principal mystery that was honored, they decided to institute the Feast of the Trinity and assign it to the first Sunday of Pentecost. Um, 
so that's that's a little bit about the the history of how we got the feet. But you'll notice too that concerning the liturgy of that day, that it's actually the shortest mass of the year. Um, and it's interesting to note that it's the greatest mystery that we have. It cannot be comprehended by our human intellect. Uh, it cannot even be reasoned to. You can reason to the existence of God, but not to what his essence is, that he is three persons in one God. And yet, to express this, this deep mystery we have the shortest mass of all. And I think that that's actually normal. I mean, how much can you say about the Trinity? You're just in awe over this, this sublime mystery. And so there's, there's not much to say other than words of praise and, and adoration, humility. Um, but it's the shortest mass of the year. And the purpose for this feast is, to give glory to the Trinity, the Trinity in unity and the unity in Trinity, as they say, um, you know, because each, each feast of, on the liturgical calendar has a particular purpose, some fruit that we're supposed to gain from it. The, the different feast days are the same. Um, we're honoring the work of the blessed Trinity, the artwork of, of God. And, um, also, the fruit that we should derive from it is that we should imitate them. Um, the feasts of our Lord obviously commemorate some event in his life and have certain virtues that we should have as well. But the purpose of this feast is simply to give glory to three divine persons, to adore the mystery. And um, mm. so I would... I would kind of like to go through the different parts of, of the Mass and maybe explain them somewhat. Not, I won't go into any great detail, but um, hopefully all of our listeners will, when they go to Mass on Sunday and read these texts, will have some food for thought and, and will gain, uh, gain some spiritual profit from, uh, from this Mass. And so... The, the introit. Um, I don't know if we ever talked about this on previous shows, but the introit is the first proper prayer of the Mass, and it changes from feast to feast. The word introit is Latin for he enters. So it's when there's a high Mass, the, uh, the choir is singing it as the priest is entering the church. And it consists of usually a psalm taken, uh, obviously, from the book of Psalms. And it has some connection with the feast. It sets the tone for the feast that, that you're celebrating. Um, and so you'll have different introits according to the feast. Uh, the feast of um, some of the feasts of Our Lady are, is the um, introit Gaudiamus. Let us rejoice in the feast of such and such a a feast of Our Lady. Um, you'll also have the different saints, uh, the, you know, the common masses, Eustus with Palma, the Judge How Flourishes, the Palm Tree, um, Osusti, and, and all of the rest. But this one, interestingly enough, is not taken from the book of the book of Psalms. There is a psalm attached to it, but it actually starts out as a praise to the Blessed Trinity. And it's the prayer that I read at the beginning of the show. Blessed be the Holy Trinity in undivided unity. We'll praise it because it hath shown its mercy unto us. And then they give the psalm, O Lord, our Lord, how wonderful is thy name in the whole earth. And so this is a, a reminder that God is the source of mercies given, of all the mercies that we've ever received. God is the source. And uh, he's also the source of, of everything else that has ever happened in the world. He's a, the 
source of, of sanctity. He's the reason why we have so many saints on the calendar. Without him, uh, they would not exist, obviously. And so, but, so it's suitable that we, we honor him by a particular feast day, and that we open it up with a praise of God and his, his works of mercy. Then we move on to the, the collect of the, the Mass, the prayer, and it's a, a petition for a greater faith. And I'll read that one to you as well. Almighty and everlasting God, who has granted thy servants in the confession of the true faith to acknowledge the glory of an eternal trinity and in the power of majesty to adore a unity, we beseech thee that by the strength of this faith we may be defended from all adversity. So this is um, an important thing to pray for, is this virtue of faith. Without faith, what is there to live for? St. Therese of Lisieux, she actually said, I was always impressed by this thought. She said that there were sufferings with tuberculosis and all the temptations to, to doubt that heaven existed and all of that. She was very faithful in overcoming the temptations, bearing her crosses, but she said, she admitted, if I did not have the faith, I would have committed suicide. And that's a very powerful statement coming from one of the great saints um, on, the, on the church calendar. So if we don't have faith, then what is going to get us through all of the miseries of this life? How are we going to put things in perspective? Why the world is the way that it is? Why, how do you reconcile um, all the evil that goes on with the goodness of God? The faith teaches all those things, how to reconcile those things and put everything in perspective. And so, so we, when we say this firmness of faith on Trinity Sunday, we should mean it with our whole heart and, and strive to live our faith, not just believe it or, or hold to it, but truly to live, to live it. Um, that's firmness of faith. You know, faith without works is dead. And so, when you pray for firmness of faith, it's not just an intellectual thing. It's a practical thing. Um, the epistle, it's a very short one, written, it's uh, St. Paul to the Romans. And again, it's just a praise of the Blessed Trinity. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God, how incomprehensible are his judgments, and how unsearchable his ways. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and recompense shall be made him, for of him and by him and in him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And the liturgical year gives a very nice thought on this too, and says, if we cannot understand the ways of God, and why he thinks that he does and permits the things, the evils that he permits, how are we supposed to understand the essence of God, three persons in one God? And so St. Paul just sets forth in words of, of praise and adoration of, uh, of the Blessed Trinity. And then, of course, uh, the Holy Gospel from, from St. Matthew in which he's speaking to the apostles just before he sends them to heaven. It's always good when you're reading the Gospels to try to put it in perspective. What is going on at this time? You know, what, what led up to it and what's going to come after? So he just led his disciples. He's getting ready to leave them to ascend into heaven so that the Holy Ghost can come down and give them his seven gifts and the church would, would be born. And he says, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. And then the divine command, going therefore teach ye all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Here is the divine revelation of the Blessed Trinity. Like I said earlier, we cannot reason 
to the Trinity. It's not something that our natural reason is capable of. And I said you can you can reason to the existence of God by by many different ways, looking at the the beauties of nature. It ultimately leads if you you do you reason it out, then you can deduce the fact that there is a God, but you cannot deduce from nature or anything else except divine revelation that there's a trinity, three persons, yet one God. But here, our Lord himself, the words of God, tells us there's a Father, a Son, and a Holy Ghost. Contrary to what, I forget the heretic's name, but there was a heretic in the early church who said that the Blessed Trinity, there isn't a, really a trinity. It's one person who kind of expresses himself in different ways. So uh, he, in certain actions that God does, he would be, he acts as a father. And in other ones, he acts as a son and others as the Holy Ghost. But he said there was only there wasn't a trinity of persons. But here, our Lord himself tells us there is a Father, a Son, and a Holy Ghost. There are three distinct persons. And uh, so that's a, an interesting thought for, uh, for the gospel. Um, the last thing I want to say about the uh, Feast of the Trinity has nothing to do with the, the Mass itself, but a prayer that we read in, um, in Prime. Now, to explain what Prime is, Primus in Latin, you have in the, the Breviary, which is the prayer book of the priest. It's the liturgical prayer of the priest, and it's after the Mass is the highest form of prayer, because it comes from God himself the Psalms and, and the different scripture readings. So you have Matins, which is said in the middle of the night when it was done by monks, and then Lauds, the official morning prayer of the church, and Prime, Primus, which means first, is said the first hour after sunrise. And on Prime of Trinity Sunday, and then all the Sundays of Pentecost that do not have, that are, are, are lower, that are semi-double or lower and have no, no saints who are the rank of a double or higher, you would, we would recite the Athanasian Creed. Uh, this, um, this creed was written by, of course, St. Athanasius. Um, and he... It was against Arius, who did not believe in the divinity of Christ. And so Athanasius wrote this rather lengthy creed, but a very beautiful one, extremely beautiful, that explains the, um, a little bit about the, the Blessed Trinity, the Incarnation, the divinity of Christ. But we'll note the very first two verses of this creed, are very straightforward. He says, Whosoever would be saved, before all things it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, which faith, except everyone doth keep entire and unviolated, without doubt, he shall perish everlastingly. Take that, Francis. You know, <laughs> unless you keep it entire and unviolated, without doubt, he shall perish everlastingly. And then he goes into a, a beautiful expression of the, the, our faith in the Trinity. And I'll read some of it, not the whole thing because it is rather lengthy, some of it. I, I, I'd like to read it, starting with the third verse. Now, the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons, nor dividing the substance. For one is the person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. 
And then further on, he says, the Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Ghost is uncreated. The Father is incomprehensible, the Son is incomprehensible, and the Holy Ghost is incomprehensible. He goes through that whole thing, how they're all eternal, yet they're not three eternals, but one eternal. That is that, so he's, he's expressing the, the whole trinity of persons, but unity in substance, unity in God. And uh, finally, he goes into the incarnation to, uh, to teach the divinity of Christ, and most of which is contained in the Apostles' Creed as well. Then he finally ends with the verse, This is the Catholic faith, which, except every man believe faithfully and steadfastly, he cannot be saved. And so I, I encourage our listeners on, that, on this feast day to try to find a book, or you could probably find it online, this Athanasian Creed, and recite it devoutly. It's a, um, it's a very beautiful creed, and one which we should uh, say quite often as an act of faith in, uh, in the Blessed Trinity. Well, um, that's an excellent suggestion, Father, and uh, I'm mindful of our time. But uh, before we move on to the next piece, I just this may be a obvious answer, I suppose. But um, I noticed that the preface for the Feast of the Holy Trinity uh, that that's one that it seems to be like the the default uh, preface for uh, in that it's used for an awful awful lot of masses throughout the year. Is there a particular reason for that? Well, the, actually the um, preface of the Trinity was, uh, it's a very ancient one. It, it was in the first text of the Sacramentary of St. Gregory the Great. And so it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty old. And the, the whole reason is because Sunday is customarily the day dedicated to the, the Blessed Trinity. Every day in the week has a different devotion that, that we should have, just as every month is dedicated to a certain saint or mystery or something. So Sunday is the, the day consecrated to the Blessed Trinity and dedicated to God. That's why we, we don't work on that day, so we can focus on, on God and our prayer life and, and the rest. And so they, um, Sunday being the day of the Blessed Trinity, it said on all of those Sundays after, uh, after Pentecost. And that's, in a nutshell, that's the reason for it. Hmm. Right, well, uh, anyone who's just joining us, you're listening to uh, the liturgical year on the Restoration Radio Network. And I just remind our listeners that uh, uh, this show and all shows on our Restoration Radio Network are copyrighted. Uh, but if you want to reproduce it, you can contact us at mail at truerestoration.org, and usually something can be worked out. Uh, in the first half of our show here, we've been discussing Trinity Sunday. And uh, now, Father, uh, with your permission, I'd like to move on to the Feast of uh, St. Peter and Paul, which is uh, coming up uh, soon, uh, at the end of the month. And uh, it actually came up uh, when you were discussing uh, Trinity Sunday. It's uh, another uh, and one of the most ancient feasts of the Church, I suppose not surprisingly, since it features the first pope and uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, major apostles. Um, uh, but before we go into that, uh, th this feast is uh, heavily associated with ordinations, is it not? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> several of our, uh, several of the priests that I work with uh, were ordained on that day. We have, um, of course, the two bishops, Bishop Dolan and, and Sanborn, Father Chikata, and several, several of our priests. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a very beautiful day to have an ordination. And again, I suppose this is a bit obvious, but what would be the reasoning behind ordinations being frequently done on this particular feast? Yeah, well, I mean, put simply, because um, 
they were, St. Peter being the, the first pope, and of course, both of them, St. Peter and Paul being uh, such zealous missionaries, particularly St. Paul. Uh, that's the, the priest's life is to be a, a missionary to souls, you know. His, as one, uh, one writer once said, you know, the, the world is my diocese. You know, the, 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 you know, we're not, especially in our days now, we're not just cramped up in our little rectory. We're, you have to be all over the world, whether it's traveling or whether it's, um, you know, the, the webcast or sermons on the Internet or the, the Restoration Radio shows. We're preaching to the world like the apostles. And so that in itself is, is a, one of the reasons why we would choose that day for ordinations. Now, um, uh, it's my understanding that this feast, uh, that there, at one time there were holy days of obligation for each of the apostles, and that uh, not, those have been subsumed into this feast. Is that, am I correct on that? And could, could you perhaps discuss that a little bit, Father? Well, at one time, they were assumed into this feast. So what it what had happened is, as you said, the apostles didn't all have their own feasts like they do now. Um, so, you know, you'll find St. Simon and Jude, uh, St. Peter and Paul, and, and the same with all the other apostles. They each have their own feasts, but it wasn't always the case. Um, so once, so eventually they, they decided, well, when they when the apostles started to get their own feasts and they were all holy days, then when they, the feasts of the apostles, some of them stopped being a holy day, the Pope wanted to compensate for that. So he put them all in a commemoration on Saints Peter and Paul. So they were, they had their own special collect for all the, uh, the apostles. It's commemorated on, on this day. But now that's no longer no longer done, obviously. But at, at one point they did have a special commemoration on this day. Hmm. Um, so uh, perhaps uh, I'll, I'll get you, uh, Father, to just go through the uh, the, the feast itself, uh, having mm-hmm. dealt with those preliminary questions. Okay. So yeah, the the first thing to keep in mind for this feast is that it's sort of among many Catholics, not all, but many, it's sort of this feast has lost its importance. And Bishop Dolan pointed out to me yesterday uh, when we were talking about the uh, this show coming up, um, he was saying one point that should always be stressed is that we're all Catholic but we're also Roman Catholic. We're sort of honorary members of the Church of Rome. And so these, these Roman saints, especially Saints Peter and Paul, should be very dear to us. In fact, to uh, confirm that, the, in Rome, we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show too, but in Rome, the Masses were said tombs of the martyrs. And that's the reason why our altar stones that are required for, for the celebration of Mass, they must contain the relics of two martyrs. And if you did your research to find out which saints were in there, the majority of the time you'd find that they are Roman martyrs. And so we should really have a devotion to these Roman martyrs, especially our first pope and, and the most and also the most zealous missionary of all time, St. Paul. So I want people to keep that in mind as we approach this feast and, and as we listen to uh, the history of this, this feast as well. But before I go to the liturgy, I think it's important, I think it's a good idea anyway to talk a little bit about the martyrdom of, of St. Peter and then a tiny bit about the martyrdom of St. Paul. Um, Many of you might know the 
who Simon Magus is. Simon the magician. Magus is uh, magician. Uh, he was kind of like the, the itch that St. Peter just couldn't scratch or the, the pebble in his shoe that he couldn't get rid of. He, Simon Magus was a convert to the, the Christian faith, the Catholic faith, but not so much because he believed as he thought that becoming a Christian would increase his magical powers. Once he converted, he spread all sorts of false doctrines. And it's from his name that we get the term simony, which means to, to buy or sell a religious thing, something that is sacred um, for money. That's, uh, that's simony. And we get it from him because when, he, when Simon saw St. Peter give the Holy Ghost, to the, the Christians, and these Christians would work marvels. They'd speak in tongues and, um, and those sorts of things. He saw this power, and he wanted to, to buy this power from St. Peter. He went up to him and asked him, and St. Peter rebuked him very sternly. And so all St. Peter wanted to do at this time was spread the true faith. And he was given the power by our Lord, of course, to work many miracles to prove the truth of what he said. And there are two reasons why miracles are worked. One is to prove the sanctity of the one who does them. Secondly, is to prove the truth of what he's preaching. In this case, St. Peter's case, the truth of, the, the, of Christianity. So St. Peter was doing all of this. And at the same time, Simon was working these prodigies. A prodigy is not a miracle. It is a, a fake miracle, something that can be explained and many times is diabolic as well. So Simon announced that he would fly on a particular day. He'd just fly across the streets. So he announced it, and of course it piqued everyone's curiosity, all of the citizens of Rome, including the emperor, who was at that time was the Emperor Nero, the, the cruel emperor who um, set fire to Rome and, and blamed it on the, the, the Christians at that time. So the day of the flight came, and Simon was in the palace of Nero, and it was to take place there outside the palace. And he began his, Simon began his flight, if you will, immediately he fell. And it, one author said that he fell and, and lay there bathed in a pool of blood, and so he died. And they say that the defeat of Simon, Magus, was due to the prayers of St. Peter, because all of these prodigies were deceiving some of the Christians um, and leading them away. And so St. Peter's prayers overcame that. But naturally, this had a, a good result, which was that all the eyes turned to St. Peter, and they believed in him now, his, his words. But it also had a bad effect that now everyone, including his enemies, looked at him. So there's a good and bad thing. But what one author, St. Clement, I think it was, he wrote and said, really, the, what really uh, contributed to St. Peter's demise, to his being captured and executed, was what St. Paul calls the perils of false brethren. Naturally, just then as today, you have all these Catholics with different personalities and, and disputes and, and everything else. And so it, it, then St. Peter would elevate certain Christians to a position in the church. So others would be jealous and you'd have all these jealousies and envies and clashes. And so that contributed a great deal to St. Peter's being captured. And so the Christians saw all this coming. They knew it was going to happen, that St. Peter was going to be put to death. And they, they encouraged St. Peter to flee Rome. And so kind of hesitatingly, he did. Um, and as he was walking out of Rome, our Lord suddenly appeared to him and was walking the opposite direction back to Rome. And our Lord said, or St. Peter said those famous words, quo vadis, where are you going, Lord? And our Lord said to Rome to be crucified again. 
and St. Peter remembered that our Lord had foretold that St. Peter would be uh, put to death at one point. So St. Peter knew this was, this was his time. So he went back, he was arrested, and put in the Mamertine prison. It was a very frightening prison, actually, just a little detail. There was two levels to it. They'd enter at the top level, and there was a little pit on the lower level. And they would, the prisoner would be lowered down on, on chains or ropes, and they would be left there. They never got out alive. They were, if they got out alive, it was because they were being taken to the place of execution. So no one ever was freed from that prison. And so finally the day came and he was let out. He was um, then led to his place of execution, and he requested that, uh, out of humility, that he not be crucified like our Lord, but that he be crucified head downward, so that the, the disciple would be, never be seen in the same position as his master. And so that was the, the death of St. Peter. St. Paul, on the other hand, also died in the persecution of Nero on this on the, the same day, it was June 29th, year 67, they died on opposite sides of the Tiber. Um, what had happened there is, as I said, very many disputes among the Christians, and um, the Jews were angry at St. Paul because he was there for St. Stephen's death. So already the Jews were unhappy with him. And now... He was inviting the Gentiles to be part of the Christian faith, which made them even more angry. So he was, he was arrested. They, were, they would have killed him on the spot, but the, the authorities were able to, to save him, and he was put in prison. He appealed to Caesar. He was taken to, to Rome. And at some point when he was in Rome, he was freed. And at some point when he was in Rome, he converted the woman and a cupbearer who were in the palace of St. Nero, and they all lived a very sinful life. And he converted the woman and the cupbearer. They left the palace of Nero, and Nero became very, very angry. So he cast St. Paul into prison. And here, St. Paul preached even more. He, he said the you know, the word of God is never bound, though I be. And here his famous words were written, I fought the good fight, I finished, um, I kept the faith, and as to the rest, there is laid up for me a crown of justice which the Lord will render to me. And so he was taken on the opposite side of the Tiber, there he was given the Roman death, which was uh, death by the sword, the beheading. And so that's the martyrdom of, of those two great saints. As to the liturgy, the, the feast was always very popular in Rome. There were two stational churches. The stational church is a, a church they would, they would gather in, the, um, in one church and then process to the stational church where the Pope would celebrate Mass on a particular day. On this day, there were two, one for St. Peter and one for St. Paul. Um, so people came from all over, but not all could make both masses because of the distance they'd have to travel from one church to another. And on top of it, they were up the whole night praying the double matins. And so St. Gregory the Great put off till the next day the stational church of the Ostian Way, which is the, where the Mass of St. Paul is celebrated. And that, by the way, is why we have on the following day, June 30th, the Feast of the Commemoration of St. Paul. That, that's why we have that. Originally, that Mass was the second Mass of the day on June 29th. Um, and that's also the reason why most of the prayers of the Mass on June 29th revolve around St. Peter, and very little is said about St. Paul, because um, St. Paul's Mass was to come later. So, just briefly going through the prayers for this, um, for this Mass, the introit and the epistle both talk about St. Peter's first imprisonment. He had just left Jerusalem, shaken the dust off his feet because they, they didn't believe in Christ. So he, and he went to Rome. And here he was captured. 
and put into prison. And it says, there's a detail in the, the epistle. St. Peter was sleeping. The night before he was to be executed, he was sleeping. And between two guards who were watching him, all of a sudden there's this bright light. An angel came, instructed him what to do, and opened up the gates for him to leave. And he left. And he was saved. And, and all the Christians were, um, were very surprised to see him after that. Um, and so that's... Um, the, the introduction epistle revolve around that imprisonment. Um, then the collect, that's, the collect is the only text in which St. Paul is also mentioned. Saints Peter and Paul always go together in the collects. If you have a feast of St. Paul, St. Peter's commemorated. If you have one of St. Peter, St. Paul is commemorated. The reason being that they were always together. They shared the same goal, preaching the faith. They were martyred on the same day. And so... So also they would, they're together in each mass in their honor. They're always commemorated together. Um, and again, here, just as on the Feast of the Blessed Trinity, we're asking for faith. Um, we're asking to follow their instruction that uh, St. Peter and St. Paul gave to us. So it's a very nice prayer that we should say with great fervor. Um, the finally, I want to touch on the the first, or actually the gospel of the Mass too. It's the um, the one that Pius the Twelfth uh, assigned to the Feast of All the Apostles, Sidiligisme, and the same gospel. At that time, Jesus came into the quarters of Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the Son of Man is? And that's when St. Peter made his confession of faith. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And that act of faith is the reason why our Lord made him the first pope. Because he is our, our link to Christ. The, the Pope is the link to Christ and is to preach the same faith. And uh, here is when our Lord changed uh, Simon's name to, to Peter, which means rock. And said, I will, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that's a, another beautiful thought for the liturgy um, of the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. And um, I think unless you can think of anything else I should address for that feast, I think that's, uh, I would stop there. Yeah, I think that covers everything uh, that, that I uh, thought of. And uh, we have to be mindful of the time. So, uh, I, again, just to remind listeners, if anyone's just joining us, you're listening to the liturgical year on the Restoration Radio Network. And we've uh, been discussing the Trinity Sunday and the Feast of Saints Peter and St. Paul. And to round out the show, um, I was going to ask Father to discuss a little bit about the various ranks of feasts and uh, what the interplay is there is when one looks at the at a traditional calendar you'll often see more than one saint or more than one feast day listed uh, on a particular day and some of them will have a little two next to them or some of them will have a, a three or then there's mentions of doubles of the first class and semi-doubles and simples so I wonder if you could give us a little uh, a little summary of, of uh, the, the different uh, levels of feast and what the what the uh, I guess the practical application of these different levels of feast are for us. Sure. Well, it seems seems today we're covering the two great mysteries of our religion: the Holy Trinity and the liturgical rankings of the calendar. That's uh, these liturgical rankings are are very difficult, and even among the clergy. Uh, when it comes to the breviary, very hard to figure out the order of commemorations and the rules of occurrence and concurrence and, and all of that. It's just a mystery. So uh, just to put it simply, um, yes, each feast has its own ranking. That is, the 
level of importance of the feast on the liturgical calendar. So you have several rankings, and we'll just cover the, the basic ones we won't get into, you know, octaves of the privilege octave of first and second and third class and all of that, but the normal ones would be going from the least important to the most important. You have your simplex feast um, or simple. Then you have above that semi-double. Above that, you have your doubles. Some people call them double minors, but ordinarily they're just called doubles. Above that is double major, the feast of um, oftentimes the feast of uh, the founders of religious orders, St. Ignatius, St. Dominic, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, above the double major, then you get into your, your major feasts, uh, doubles of the second class, which are ordinarily the, uh, the, the feasts of apostles, then your doubles of the first class, which is the very highest of the feasts. So here you're talking about the Feast of the Blessed Trinity, Epiphany, all the great feasts <clears throat> and holy days of obligation. Um, the way it plays into how things work, the number of prayers you say is uh, on a simplex feast in Matins, ordinarily on a, on a semi-double or, or higher, you have nine psalms and nine readings that you must say. But on a simplex feast, there's nine psalms, but only three readings. And if it's a ferial day, it's interesting, a ferial day. Ferial means daily, so it's a daily day. Uh, a ferial day is a day when there's no feast of a saint celebrated. On those days, you'd, uh, uh, you'd often just read some Old Testament readings. But on vigils, which is also a simplex feast, you would read the um, usually the uh, explanation of the gospel of the day. But on a simple feast of a saint, you would read the first two lessons from the Old Testament, and then the third lesson, an abbreviated life of the saint. Um, also on that day, uh, simplex feasts in the masses usually three collects. So you'd have, for instance, uh, on the, the feast of St. Pope, St. Evaristus, or St. Valentine, you'd, you would have the prayer of the saint, and then the prayers of the season. Depending on the season, sometimes it's uh, prayer to Our Lady, and then prayer against persecutors of the church. Other times it's um, prayer to the Holy Ghost and, and whatnot. Um, Going up to double, though, the Feast of the Double, this is the most common of the saints' feast days. That just means that the antiphons recited before the psalms in the office are doubled. They're said once before the psalm and once after. And um, so a double and higher, that's what you do. Now, how this applies to the Mass. On Sundays, if you're just kind of guessing your home, guessing which Mass is going to be said tomorrow, well, if the Sunday falls also on the Feast of the Saint, who is the devil of the first or second class. The Saint outranks the Sunday. So if the Feast of an Apostle falls on a Sunday, you have the Mass of that Apostle, the Sunday will be commemorated, and you'd read the proper last Gospel of the Sunday. But if you have anything below the double of the second class, then you would have the Sunday Mass, and a commemoration of that of the, the saint. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, how it works with regard to the Sunday Mass. I, I don't know if that sufficiently answers the question. Well, I think it definitely gives people a, a starting point in any event. Sure. I'll say what's, what Bishop Sheen said about the Trinity. If you understand the Blessed Trinity any more after I talk, then before, then something's wrong. And you can almost <laughs> apply that to the liturgical rankings of feasts. Um, well, not really, but, but it, is, it is rather confusing, and it takes some time to get used to it. But I think it's a good practical point for people to get used to, especially encourage the servers, particularly the, the MCs out there, who, the MCs for um, 
for high mass, learn to read the ordo. Tell what the rank of the feast is. It's always, there's always letters. Right after the, the name of the saint in the ordo, there's letters. A D for double, SD for semi-double, um, D in Roman numeral two, uh, CL, that's double of the second class. Learn to read that so that you can tell, you can set up the missile for the priest, and you don't always have to go in last minute and ask the priest what's going on today. Um, because the MC is the master of ceremonies. He's there to tell the priest what to do and to guide mm-hmm. the whole ceremony. So just an encouragement for our servers out there. Right. Well, uh, thank, thank you for that information, Father. And thank you for uh, another uh, very interesting and enlightening show. And uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, and of course listeners to the show who've listened to Father McGuire before, they know that he has an apostle of his own, above and beyond and more important than uh, his work with us at Restoration Radio Network. And we solicit donations for the network, but also would encourage uh, listeners to consider uh, supporting the work of the priests that that work with us. And... uh, so I mentioned uh, uh, Father McGuire is the pastor of St. Hugh's in Milwaukee, but he actually lives at St. Gertrude the Great in uh, in Ohio. So uh, I always recommend listeners to go check out sggresources.org. Uh, there's all sorts of articles and uh, interesting things there. And if uh, you're able to give a little something, there's a, a donate button on there. So... Um, uh, thank you, uh, Father, uh, for for joining us. Uh, and uh, did you have any uh, any parting thoughts you want to give us before we end the show? Well, just um, you know, an encouragement uh, for for parents on on the lit- liturgy. Remember that the liturgy is the the prime source of sanctification. You might say it's it's far above private devotions. And so you should have, try as much as possible to instill in, in the hearts of your kids the love of liturgical prayer, assistance at Mass, and the observance of feet. And if you and do something special on these days, um, have a, a nicer dinner, treat the kids to ice cream, or, or do something to make these feast days uh, important in the eyes of your, your children, because that's how they, they learn to love this, these things and ultimately to sanctify themselves and save their soul is, is through the, the public prayers of the, of the church and the sacraments as well. And I would, I would leave them with that thought. Well, uh, thank you, Father, and uh, I'll let you get on with your day then. So thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. God bless you. So uh, any of our listeners, if you have any questions uh, for us, you can, uh, or if you have any suggestions for show topics uh, that you'd like to hear a discussion of, you can email us at liturgicalyear at truerestoration.org. That's liturgicalyear, all one word, at truerestoration.org. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and your faith, that you please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. So please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. And uh, if you have any uh, questions or comments uh, regarding the network a uh, more broader level or would like to reproduce our copyrighted work on your channel in some format, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, you can direct those inquiries to mail at truerestoration.org. And uh, for the restoration, I'm Nicholas Wansbutter, and I uh, hope you'll join us again uh, in August. God bless.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.